A credit warning for the UK, European inflation in double digits and US core PCE not showing any signs of a slowdown. So central banks still pushing hard with a 50 basis point rise expected from the RBA this week. Plus, what do you do if your OPEC and oil prices start to fall? Well, you produce less of the stuff, obviously, so we can expect that this week. Any good news? We'll see if we can find some. Well, you get a holiday if you're in New South Wales or Queensland today. If you are there, thanks for listening in anyway. It's Monday, the 3rd of October, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar fell a little on Friday on the DXY index and uh, down more than 0.9% over the week last week. Fantastic, you might be thinking. That means the Aussie dollar is going to be up. But no, it lost 1.5% on Friday, down to 64 US cents, down almost 2% over the week last week. The pound, meanwhile, having fallen to that all-time low a week ago, grew half a percent on Friday compared to a slight fall in the euro. The pound now above, actually, where it was just before that fateful mini-budget a little over a week ago. The lasting effect, of course, in the UK has been rising bond yields. Ten-year uh, gilts have a yield of 4.1% now compared to 3.5% the day before the budget. But, of course, yields are rising everywhere. Ten-year treasuries rose 14 basis points in a week, up over 3.8% now. German 10 years up 8 basis points to 2.1%. And Aussie 10 years are up just over 20 basis points, almost at uh, 3.9%. And we've got falls in US equities at the end of the week, a 1.5% fall in the S&P and the Nasdaq, a 1.7% drop in the Dow. Uh, there was, a, of course, that day of optimism on Tuesday, but that didn't stop a 2.7% fall in the Nasdaq over the week. Meanwhile, European stocks are on the rise on Friday, a 1.2% lift in the Eurostoxx 50 and the DAX. Almost all of the US losses, though, on Friday happened after the European close, so perhaps Europe would have been dragged down with it as well. And oil falling in price, WTI now below $80. Uh, with a 2.1% drop on Friday. Ooh, something's going to have to be done about that. (laughs) I think OPEC Plus are going to do that. Uh, Brent down 2.3% on Friday, just over $85. But it was a volatile week, so it was uh, only 1.2% down over the entire week. So let's see what this week brings us, including uh, OPEC Plus. But uh, Taylor Nugent is joining us from NAB in Melbourne. Taylor, something which uh, might... uh, influence the markets a bit this morning since friday's close five twenty on friday afternoon new york time s&p they didn't downgrade the uk's double a credit rating but they put it on a negative outlook so a change like that for a large economy like the uk the idea that they've been put on notice does that normally have any sort of market impact you know it doesn't necessarily mean that a, a downgrade is imminent or even baked in um, but it's certainly you know not going to be helpful news for for the pound as as we do head into to the new week especially given just you know just the level of uncertainty about the you know the detail in the in the UK government's plans um, and so, you know, I, you'd imagine that the kind of this this mm. downgrade, um, you know, shift in the in the outlook um, to negative is kind of in that context of, of that mm. uncertainty as well with S&P also noting that it, you know, could be subject to change again as, as kind of the details become clearer. It's, it's curious, isn't it? Because, I mean, there are, if you look at, you know, the, the question about how much debt that they're going to be carrying, I mean, many European countries are putting their own cash injections into uh, in, in, into people's bank accounts to help subsidise fuel 
uh, and you know they have a, a worse uh, debt to GDP ratio than the UK in many cases. But I guess the UK's got this huge kind of account deficit as well, which probably doesn't help their case. The bizarre thing was in the UK uh, was that you know just as we uh, recognise the terminal bank rate from the Bank of England is going to be higher, we got mortgage approvals for August well up on July seventy four thousand because it's going to be obviously very different in September because uh, many institutions actually removed their mortgage products last week. But let's look at inflation numbers uh, for Europe. We've got the flash number for September. September. This wasn't good news, was it? We knew it was going to be an upside surprise because we got that uh, number from Germany on Thursday. For the euro area, we got a 1.2% increase month on month, which puts the annual figure, just like we saw in Germany, it puts that annual figure into double digits. Yeah, that, that's right. Certainly no sign of any any slowing in, in European inflation there and coming in hot, that headline measure coming in at 10% year on year, as you say. So the, the first time it's hit double digits in the in the history of that series for the block and very much a, a record high um, and already kind of flagged to some extent by that upside surprise to the, the German um, inflation data um, earlier in the week. Um, but, you know, it, again, that's this kind of similar story that we've been talking about for a while where, you know, the main movers are really energy and food prices doing a lot of the work. But that that breadth coming through as well with kind of core measures of inflation also coming in on the stronger side of what was expected at 4.8% year on year versus 4.7% expected as well. Yeah. Um, and that kind of very strong inflationary backdrop is kind of, you know, keeping the pressure on the ECB. Um, but interestingly, you know, we've had a couple of comments from ECB speakers on Friday as well that suggest there is a little bit more kind of divergence in views among ECB members on, on how to respond in the current environment than from, say, the, the FOMC or, or Fed speakers in, in contrast. And so, you know, a couple that I'll just highlight there, um, the ECB Schnabel said that um, a decline in, in real wages and a slowdown in aggregate demand may not materially ease current inflationary pressures. Um, and, you know, adding that further increases in our the key policy rates will be needed. And so, you know, leaning on the on the hawkish side of, of members there. But in, in contrast, some other members, including Italy's Visco, are much more concerned um, that, you know, excessively rapid and pronounced rate hikes would would increase the risk of recession. And so that that challenge that the ECB <laughs> is facing with that demand backdrop being, you know, quite fragile and, yeah. you know, whether it's whether it's risk of recession is still the right framing or whether it would be, you know, unnecessarily kind of, you know, worsening the the downturn um, and getting that balance right between, you know, responding to those elevated inflationary pressures um, and and, you know, unnecessarily worsening the the, the growth outlook. Um, certainly, you know, a bit more divergence there. Um, certainly, Schnabel did still suggest that, you know, second round effects and that kind of wage price spiral dynamics were were low and the ECB likely to keep moving in the near term. But in terms of kind of how far they go, there is a bit of kind of a different shades of grey coming through from from those ECB speakers. Well, it's interesting. They're not too worried about the second round effect through uh, through wage push inflation because obviously the US is very concerned about that. And the German unemployment rate stayed at 5.5% on Friday. So, you know, if Europe is heading into recession, jobs are still holding up. But um, yeah, the on those uh, on those top line figures. I mean, yeah, energy prices actually have been coming down a bit, haven't they? It's largely food and drink. Food and drink rose from ten point six percent to eleven point eight percent in those inflation numbers. So that is a that is a, a big concern, isn't it? And then on the uh, on the energy side, well, we've got OPEC Plus meeting this week. Uh, as I said in the introduction, they're not too happy about oil prices coming down, you know. And the, the reports are that they are going to cut production to try and get uh, to, to to boost their uh, their revenue. 
venue. Yeah, that's right. So OPEC Plus meeting on on Wednesday. Interestingly, there it had earlier been um, expected that that would be an, another virtual meeting, um, but it's actually going to be the the first in person meeting since um, since the pandemic. And so you know that's you know another signal that you know if they're making the making the effort to meet in person, maybe a, a meaningful response is coming. And certainly, there's been a lot of press reports um, citing citing delegates um, saying that a, a cut um, in excess of a million barrels a day could could be considered. And so, you know, a, a cut of that size would certainly be a very clear signal that OPEC is going to be active in in managing um, oil prices at, at these sorts of levels with oil kind of under $90 a barrel for, for a little while now. Um, but, you know, even a, even a cut, if it wasn't quite that big, anything even kind of half that size mm. would still be kind of fairly a fairly meaningful response. And so, you know, it is looking like OPEC um, is going to be kind of active in, in managing prices around well, here. OPEC plus, let's not forget the plus. They, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're important in all of this. So, yeah, it's, it's marvellous things, aren't they, cartels? So we got a global slowdown that, uh, because, you know, if, uh, that, and that's reducing demand. So prices fall. So they produce less to push prices up, which adds to the slowdown, which adds to inflation. Uh, beautiful. Um, <laughs> it's, it's good of you in the cartel. Uh, let's look at, uh, just before we finish off on, on Europe, the UK numbers uh, for uh, GDP. We got those on Friday as well. Uh, GDP grew 0.2% in July. So flat over three months, though. Uh, I think the July growth is mainly services, a lot of that coming from the internet and computer programming and the like. But, you know, this is an example, isn't it? This is from July. We look at these numbers. Obviously, the world has moved on. So we have to treat with caution any numbers which are a couple of months old right now, don't we, really? Yes, yes. Certainly a, a very fast-moving beast at the moment, especially in the UK, mm-hmm. when we're thinking about, you know, how the how the Bank of England is, is likely to respond. They're already expecting kind of, you know, a, a fairly material slowdown and a, a period of negative growth. And then, you know, there's been a, a big shift in that that hit to real, real incomes from the the government's um, you know energy subsidy policy, as well as that kind of you know imperative to um, do that significant um, monetary policy response in light of kind of the the demand stimulus components that a lot of the kind of the tax cuts and and subsidies in this program um, implicitly contain. Um, and so you know that very a very little influence for for the BOE as we as we look to their meeting in, a, in about a month's time. You would have to say these mm. kind of latest economic figures. Yeah, absolutely. A month is a long way away as well, isn't it? Given any, in the UK, anything that happened before last Friday really is uh, is old news, isn't it? Uh, look in the US, inflation still rising. The core PCE read on Friday four point nine percent in August, up from four point seven percent. Actually, the highest rise since April when uh, interest rates were just zero point five percent in the United states so uh, and we've had quite a few fed speakers out as well in force so uh, what is the what is the read on on all of that again you know it, it's it's a sign that things aren't uh, you know inflation is is if it is slowing down it's happening very very slowly yeah that's right certainly no no relief on that that um, inflation backdrop there so those uspc numbers for august um more than just inflation in in those numbers they showed real consumption growth um, in line with expectations, up 0.1 percent. So you know, sluggish, but still still positive. Um, and there was also mm. in the detail a bit of a kind of a gradual, ongoing normalisation between that good spending and that services spending, with with real goods consumption down 0.2 percent and services consumption up about a about a quarter of percent. Um, but you know, the the headline there was really that um, that PCE deflator measure, which is the Fed's um, preferred in inflation measure. Um, and you know, as kind of 
signaled by the the hot August CPI number already braced for a high print, but it did manage to sneak in above expectations um, even still. So the core PCE deflator was up 0.6% month on month, the headline coming in at at 0.3% month on month. Um, But, you know, probably most concerningly out of there, some alternative measures of of core inflation, including the the median PCE inflation number was up 0.7% month on month in August and hitting a new record mm. high in, in year on year terms, whereas some of those other measures had are uh, kind of off their highs. And so, you know, although there are kind of when you look at supply chain indicators and, and some comments out of out of the earnings um, and, and from companies, there are kind of loudening signs that there will be some easing across goods price inflation in in train. Um, certainly in in these kinds of numbers, there's there's still a, a very strong inflationary backdrop. Um, and so one one kind of thing I'll, I'll just mention on that kind of goods inflation story were some comments from from Nike on Friday. So their shares were down around around 13 percent um, after warning of a, a, the sharp rise in inventories would lead to, to steeper discounting. So some of that, some of that story about you know that inventory rebuild and and um, having to to discount to to move stock certainly looking like it is starting to come through. We get the US ISM numbers uh, today tonight, but uh, a warning ahead of that: the, those Chicago PMIs on Friday, uh, a post-COVID low forty-five point seven. That was a that was a very big drop, wasn't it, from one read to the next? Yeah, quite a quite a startling drop in that in that Chicago PMI, and um, you know, coming in well below consensus, and and you know, it can be kind of volatile month to month. Some of those some of those surveys, but certainly signals downside risk to the the consensus for the the manufacturing ism um coming out tonight so consensus there is for a a drop from 52.8 to to 52.1 um so still kind of holding in positive territory and you know given the themes i was just mentioning there that kind of um prices paid series will be will be closely watched in that series as well um but yeah those chicago pmi numbers um do do suggest some downside risk there certainly right so is this some positive news then, uh, given, given that we haven't had any yet? Uh, what about China? You know, you get positive news if you wait long enough. You know, there's always some good news at the end of the tunnel. So uh, the uh, PMIs for the manufacturing sector came in at 50.1, nudged over the 50 in September, up from 49.4 in August. I know it's not much over 50, but at least it's at least it's an expansionary territory. Just we've got to take some uh, refuge in that, haven't we, Taylor? Uh, you're you're stretching fairly far to find positive news oh, in the, the, really? the China, the I China so races, hoping. I think. So as you say, the official uh, manufacturing PMI did did sneak back into expansionary territory, but the um the more kind of export focused and and private sector focused Chaisin survey um was much weaker than expected, actually dropping to to um forty five point five in September, and so signalling that some of that kind of external demand um, backdrop maybe maybe weighing and then you know in the official services pmi as well that also came in a, a bit weaker than expected and so certainly saying that 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 zero covid policy that's um that's persisting in china is continuing to weigh. Right. okay well look, hey i tried uh so non-farm payrolls on friday that's the uh, probably the big number uh this week when those weekly jobless numbers showing very little movement so it's still a tight labor market in the united states so it'll be interesting to see where how that goes We've got to get through this week before that of course and that includes the rbnz on wednesday and the RBA tomorrow. So are we assuming that a 50 basis point hike is the most likely outcome for Australia? 
Yeah, yeah, certainly. So we're expecting 50 basis points from the RBA on on Tuesday. Um, you know, that's, you know, the broad consensus as well. 16 out of 21 in the in the Bloomberg survey are, are looking for 50. The RBA has been kind of, you know, mentioning that they're they're looking for opportunities to to taper the pace of hikes back to that that 25 basis point number as the as the the cash rate goes higher. Um, but you know, just given the you know the resilience in the data so far, the strength that we've seen in the in the labour market and, and retail sales as well, and the resilience of the consumer that we're seeing so far, and that the level of the cash rate is still below um, the kind of lower bound two and a half percent number that the RBA has nominated. Um, nominated as kind of a their estimate of of neutral, we think you know one more fifty basis points in October makes sense before downshifting to to twenty five basis point hikes in November. From the from the RBNZ on on Wednesday, our BNZ colleagues there expect fifty basis points from the RBNZ as well, and probably most focus there is on how they kind of frame the outlook from here. Um, and you know, likely to have kind of messaging around that decision consistent with a, a follow-up fifty basis points at the next meeting. Right. Okay. And it is a fairly quiet day today. Now we've mentioned ISM manufacturing. That's just about the only big number that we can expect today. The fact that there's not a lot going on numbers-wise doesn't mean it's not going to be a volatile day today. We've got very used to that lately, haven't we? So we'll see what uh, what the day brings. Good to talk, Taylor. We'll catch you again very soon. Thanks. Thanks, Phil. That's Taylor, and I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning with another edition of The Morning Call. Thanks for tuning in today. See you tomorrow.